0: This is my journey. Inspired one story at a time, a library of leaders was created. It began as a journey to learn. As time went on, it began to grow. All it needed was a platform, and this podcast was created. To listen, to inspire, to share. I am a storyteller, and this is my journey. Welcome to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. I'm your host Steve Anderson, and today our guest is Jim Stoker. Jim has over 25 years of management and leadership experience in the healthcare industry. He is a he is passionate about helping owners create an engaged employee culture of teamwork, excellence, accountability, and leadership development. Jim specializes in clinic optimization of key performance indicators and clinic metrics achieved by maximizing operational efficiency, leadership development, and staff engagement. As the managing partner and the senior vice president of Clemson Sports Medicine and Rehabilitation, Jim and his partners grew their practice from 3 to 30 clinics, culminating in a successful sale of the business in 2016. Jim holds a master's degree and a bachelor's degree in exercise science from Furman University, and a B.S. in physical therapy from the Medical University of South Carolina and a doctorate of physical therapy from the University of Montana. Jim resides in Easley, South Carolina with his wife Eleanor, two children, three dogs, and in his spare time, he enjoys hunting, fishing, and occasional round of golf. I've known Jim for quite a few years, and he's just one of those um, one of those good guys. Uh, he, is, hey, he has high integrity, Uh, He has a lot of experience, he's very transparent, willing to share all he knows with anybody who cares, and um, just someone that uh, I was in a little business venture with um, back in the day and and got to know him really well, and and just a quality person. So uh, I think you're really going to enjoy the interview today, just to hear his journey and and what he created and and what he's doing now, and uh, so I encourage you just to sit back and listen to somebody who has done it right, and uh, somebody that... uh, Um, you know, is is someone we can look up to and and see his journey and what he's created and uh, just be impressed. So let's uh, jump right in and have a discussion with Jim Stoker. Jim, welcome to the program. It's uh, great to talk with you today.
1: Thank you very much, Steve. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Well, let's uh, let's just start by... uh,
0: Tell us a little bit about your journey. So you're a physical therapist, uh, and mm-hmm. um, uh, so just tell us a little bit about when you decided to do that and then kind of your journey of how you uh, um, got to where you are today.
1: Sure. may make a long story short, hopefully, but um, my dad was in uh, the textile business, and when I went to college, had every intention of kind of going into the family business, went to Furman University in Greenville and was a declared business major. Uh, for the first couple years, and just did not like it, and so kind of drew upon, like many, many other physical therapists, drew on some past athletic experience, Um, had a a significant knee injury in high school that impacted uh, athletics, went through two surgeries and a year of rehab, and so just started drawing on that, and I uh, changed my major to exercise science. Did an independent study in physical therapy at a clinic here in Greenville, and uh, that changed my path. Went to the Medical University of South Carolina after that, and um, that's what kind of led me into the into into the world of PT.
0: Uh, that's great, and then you went on to get your DPT at the University of Montana is what I understand. I did.
1: Yeah. I did that as a transitional uh, DPT um, much later in my career, actually just a couple years ago. Um, so I was part of the, the older crowd that finished with a bachelor's in physical therapy. So that was 1992. Yeah. Um, and then I got a master's of exercise science. uh, I wanted a science-based master's degree from Furman. And uh, then um decided just a couple of years ago after COVID hit and um, had some time on my hands. I was like, you know, I really, I really, I really want to pursue that DPT. So I did that through Montana.
0: Yeah. Good for you. That, that's awesome. So now did you start, uh, was your first uh, position that you took out of school with uh, Clemson uh, sports medicine rehabilitation or um, tell us how you got to there.
1: Yeah, it was not. So my first job out of school was actually a place called Eastside sports physical therapy. On the Upper East Side of Manhattan in New York, and um, had some friends uh, up every Time I did my last clinical rotation in New York, uh, loved it, and they offered me a job, so I stayed for a couple years. And knew I did not want to settle down there uh, long term. And then uh, a couple years after working in New York, decided you know really where where do I want to make my next move? And I really enjoyed the orthopedic and sports, much like many other. Um, athletic physical therapist that um, uh, that uh, kind of had that background a little bit. So I, I briefly went to Charlotte and worked for Carolinas Medical Center and had great experience there um, with at the time was uh, the more orthopedic clinic. they involved into um, um, orthopedic associates with Carolinas I believe I have, may have that name wrong but. They took care of the Hornets uh, at the time. Um, and so, really had a lot of high level sports guys. Um, but really, that was a hospital base and really wanted to get into private practice for the potential for future growth. So, um, I contacted some folks I knew back at Furman, and they put me in touch with um, an athletic trainer that had just left and started a clinic. some folks they knew in greenville and uh one thing led to another and that's how i i landed a job with clemson sports medicine
0: okay and then uh basically uh you became the managing partner of that practice i believe and and uh right didn't you grow it from start out with three clinics and eventually grew to 30 is that correct
1: that is correct so i took the job as a staff therapist uh, in a, in our Greenville clinic, uh, which at the time was the second clinic that we had. Our home base has always been in Clemson. And uh, as we were growing I was single and had a lot of energy and ready to go and as we started opening offices, um, I was the one that volunteered well I'll go help so um, I became the guy on the road I would go, set up the clinic and move in the equipment, work the front desk, see patients, collect co-pays, answer the phones and do everything under the sun. And so just over the years, the director of the clinic left. So I was in the position to move to clinic director. And as as we grew over the years, um, really over the next 10 years, um, I was elevated from staff PT to clinic director to um, vice president and then finally in about 2006 um, took out the old home equity loan and, and bought in and became a partner in 2006.
0: That's great. Now there were two other partners at least that, that I'm aware of right that they uh, had to kind of started the practice and
1: that's correct. Initially there were two senior partners Neil uh, Richardson and Skip Hunter. Uh, both of whom I owe a great deal of gratitude. Learned a lot from them. We had bumps in the road like every other business, but uh, just great people to work with. Sure did. Uh, we ended up, there are other, uh, at the time that we uh, were acquired, we had one other partner, Kelson Kobo, that was a, a minority partner um, and managing partner with, my, with myself.
0: Okay, so to tell us a little bit about uh Cause I think our, uh, our business and PT owners would be interested in this is, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, start off with three clinics and you just start adding more, you grow it to 30. So, so what's the, you know, everyone, um, says, you know, in business that, that growing, you know, a, a growth mindset is a good one, you know, to, to, you know, uh, build the business bigger and give opportunities to others. But what is it that yeah. you think that Clemson sports, uh, and rehabilitation did that, uh, um, you know kind of kind of made a difference and enabled it to grow to that size
1: Mm -hmm. that's a good question i've thought about that over over the years um and, and really we had two great growth strategies honestly steve without even knowing it we were just honestly at the time working and uh there's so many things i wish i knew then that that i that i already know now but our primarily growth strategy was honestly relationships and we would uh we really worked the orthopedic and sports network um obviously sports was part of our name and we had a reputation um from that um sports background to providing um really progressive sports oriented physical therapy and rehabilitation for all walks of life not just the young athletic population so we used that network um, to develop relationship with orthopedists, different orthopedic groups in different communities. And so we really sought relationships and referral base prior to moving to a new demographic. Uh, once we were in that demographic, we then looked to a more of a satellite clinic growth from there. For example, in Clemson, we started with one, one main office there in Clemson, And by 2016, there were five clinics in the Clemson-Seneca greater area, which is one of the things I learned. I never would have thought that that region would support five clinics, but uh, I was proven wrong.
0: Uh, And
1: one of the things that I have seen over time, wish I had done differently over time, is is probably open some of those satellite clinics sooner. So that was certainly our approach.
0: Okay. And... For those of us that uh, aren't familiar with South Carolina, so Clemson is actually a a town or a city,
1: right it is yeah okay. the town okay. the, the the university is actually bigger than the town but, okay uh, yes, because that's what that's city. what we most were, of us
0: that that aren't familiar with the area uh, know of is the Clemson University, of course
1: right right, absolutely and did you work with the university as well? i did not we were not affiliated with the university we were we were named clemson sports medicine solely because where we were located now we had relationships we uh we knew the folks the 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 orthopedic group in town is blue ridge orthopedics dr larry bowman and steve martin sean mccallum and those guys were all the team physicians for clemson university football basketball baseball and, and you name it and we had relationships with them um But we we provided sports medicine services for the local high schools, and that was our main point of relationship. But periodically, we had we had um, opportunities to interact with the sports medicine and athletic training staff at the university. Okay, so over. um, So
0: how many years did you did it take you to get from uh, three to 30 clinics?
1: Uh, well, we actually fluctuated <laughs> during that time. It wasn't obviously a straight trajectory we We closed our share of clinics and we learned from that and moved on. Um, but we were I would probably say so I joined in nineteen ninety six um, and we we were acquired in two thousand and sixteen, so really pretty much a better part of twenty years. and we were at thirty clinics. probably a couple years prior to um, our acquisition. So I'd say the better part of, you know, anywhere from 13 to 15 years.
0: So if you don't mind, I'd like to get into that, that a little bit uh, as far as Mm -hmm. the the transaction, the sale of of the company, because I think a lot of our listeners are, are always interested in in, in how that works and how it worked for you. So you had these Mm -hmm. two uh, more senior partners, and right. um, they had uh, you know, built this, this great company, and, and, and now you're kind of the managing partner, so you're doing a lot of the, uh, the nuts and bolts. And, and it, basically it comes to a point where uh, if they're going to retire at some point, you're going to have to buy right. them out. And right. when you get up to 30 clinics, uh, that's a big number. So yeah. uh, it, I would assume that in that transition of what's next – um, you know, it, it um, you went through a lot of potential options, but we probably had limited options just because the the price to um, you know pay them for what they started and what they created uh, was just too much for the rest of the uh, partners or or the company to to buy them out. Is that correct?
1: It is correct. It was uh, it was a challenge to say the least, and um, as good a friends. As myself and my other minority partner, Kelson, were um, and are with uh, Skip and Neil, when it comes down to having the uh, ownership and purchase and money discussion, um, it's it's very difficult because um, senior owners there is, there's a there's a loyalty to the guys that are working with them um and for them but at the same time there is a very strong sense of ownership that it's theirs they built it as their baby and we had a lot of discussions a lot of very very frank discussions and I give them a lot of credit when we would sit in our management meeting room we all agreed that whatever we said in the room stayed in the room and we all had the best interest in the company of mind but we were going to disagree and that was okay. So um, after many, many discussions, we realized I realized that yes, I, I did not have the ability to go out and basically take a loan and get the money myself to buy them out. Um, that was not an option. So how do we walk through this process? So as we were approached for uh, the acquisition, we had a lot of help from our accountant and our attorney who we had um, who had been with us for, Pretty much the entire ride, so they knew us very well, and so I would encourage everyone to have a relationship uh, with an attorney and accountant you trust. And so they really served as almost our mediator and kind of the objective third party that helped remove some of the emotion from the conversations, which typically does arise in those type of uh, discussions. Um, And honestly, without getting too many details, we were able to work into agreement to where we structured an internal acquisition and sale at one value that was a discounted value that provided um, basically the discount for our years of service. And I mean, myself and and, uh, my other minority partner. So for basically 10 years, we had been running the company. our senior partners had been, um, they, you know, they would come in for meetings um, for the most part, but day-to-day operations, they were were not there. Um, so we came to an agreement of a discounted value for those years of service, if you want to call it sweat equity or not. And so that transaction occurred at the same time the overall transaction occurred. So we gained the benefit. We actually had the ability to um, leverage from what, Our percent ownership was paid from the overall transaction, we then turned around and paid um, our senior partners um, to a a fuller higher percentage of ownership based on a discounted value. So I hope that answer was not too convoluted.
0: No, and so did you look at, now you're looking for a partner to do that with, so did you look at uh, private equity companies? Did you look at other companies? Um, you eventually went with ATI. So tell us how you got to the point where you decided that ATI was the partner.
1: Right. Um, uh, That was an evolution uh, for sure over time. Um, Having gone to private practice section and been involved involved in the private private practice section for years, actually, where I was fortunate enough to meet you. That's right. Um, We were aware that Clemson Sports Medicine was kind of getting on the radar because of our size and our regional footprint. Uh, we were all South Carolina, one clinic in North Carolina, one clinic in Georgia. So we had we had entertained a few phone calls and a few conversations about, um, you know, when you're interested, can we talk about this? And we had discussed it in, for a variety of reasons. It just wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right time. Um, but we had talked about when that time comes how might we walk through that process and so to everyone's credit we had discussed how we might manage that process when we get there so um, we had a little bit of advice from our attorney and our accountant how, how we might do that so finally we were we were approached by um ati we were not honestly at the time actively seeking um, a PE partner or an acquisition. Uh, we had had the discussion, but we were approached by ATI. They had um, acquired um, another practice in South Carolina who we knew very well. Um, wouldn't really say we were competitors. We were really, surprisingly enough, as small as South Carolinians, were in, We're in really different demographics, but I knew them very well through our state association, and had a lot of respect for um, how they ran their business and how they treated employees and how they treated patients. And we felt um, that it was uh, really a strategic move and probably a smart decision by by ATI and made a whole lot of sense um, to kind of us at that time roll in with the other practice that just one year previously had gone with ATI. And um, it's just kind of all the stars aligned at the right time when they approached us. And uh, I think it turned out well for most everybody.
0: Okay. And then you stayed on as, uh, uh, I I guess, running, you know, the existing Clemson piece within ATI. Is that right? And then uh, how long did that last and what was that experience Mm -hmm. like?
1: Right, so uh, yes. Yeah, so we we structured the uh, the agreement that uh, Neil and Skip were ready to retire. They'd be the first, they were the first to tell you that. So they were exiting during the course of the conversation and all the due diligence. Uh, Kelsey and myself um, um, uh, had 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 voiced that you know we weren't ready to quit. We were we we still had some good years in us, and we were interested in in moving forward. So. I was offered the position of vice president of operations for South Carolina. So that actually involved uh, not only the 30 clinics and uh, from Clemson Sports Medicine, but three other practices that had been acquired a year or so prior. So um, that was um, ProAxis Physical Therapy, Charleston Physical Therapy, and uh, Rehabilitation Centers of Charleston. One of the benefits is I knew all those people from being involved in our state association and, um, again, had a lot of respect uh, for them. So I was tasked with not only transitioning um, our clinics over to ATI, but then trying to build a cohesive group and team among um, the four practices that uh, were now under the ATI umbrella in South Carolina. So that totaled actually 60 clinics in state.
0: Okay. And uh so you did that for a while and then uh I did. And then you decided to move
1: on. So what uh, what was good about it and what wasn't? Right. So yeah, I did that for three years. Uh learned a lot um and um and uh enjoyed the relationships and the people I worked with at ATI. And um, and uh, but uh, in fall November of 2019 uh, we separated. It was time to move on. ATI was moving in a different direction, and um, and it was time for me to go in a different direction. So uh, it was a very amicable um, decision on both parts, and just have a lot of appreciation for um, the people that I met at ATI um, that were there at the time. Unfortunately, all the people that I worked with at ATI at the time. Um, are not there anymore. They've they've undergone some uh, changes as well. But it was a very good learning uh learning opportunity. So it gave me the opportunity to uh, kind of sit back and decide what else uh, what I wanted to what I wanted to do next. And the first thing I decided to do was I wanted to get my DPT, and that's when I started and completed that.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting, and and the reason I'm just very curious about this, and I think others would be as well, is that I think this happens a fair amount in our profession where you um you know one or two of the original partners build something and and it gets big and then uh they become um you know less involved but yet uh they're still the owners so um you know it's kind of like they're not doing the hard work that they used to do because they've got somebody like you you know managing the practice and whatever but they're making good money from it so it's almost like the first roadblock is well why would I want to leave you know because I'm you know, right. I'm not working as hard, and I'm, I'm making you know significant dollars here, which is good. And then, and then when it does t- come time where they say, "Well, maybe we'd like to retire and whatever," then to buy them out is just almost impossible uh, with the numbers, with, uh, with the with with the people left behind. So then you uh, force isn't the right word, but I guess you, you are you you almost have to uh, go and look for that outside partner that has the resources that can buy them out and and send them right. on their way to retirement, and then. You try and uh, deal with 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 what's what, what's remaining, and sometimes that works really well, and, and sometimes it doesn't.
1: That's very true. Very true. I would. Um, we, I think, one of the things that, that that I did correctly and did did a lot of things correctly, a lot of good things, and boy, made my share of mistakes and took my lumps along the way, and have tried to learn from that. But I believe one of the things I did well early on. And, um, and I really got that from my father who um, started his own business. Um, He encouraged me, he said, have the conversation about your long-term plans early, early on. And so we started those conversations about my desire to be a partner uh, really early. That's why I was willing to um, drive from Clemson to Myrtle Beach which is, you know, four and a half, five hours. And, um, you know, I was newly married and um, had very small children, but at the time I was willing to kind of sacrifice for the long term and go spend a week in Myrtle Beach and open a clinic and do all things. I'm more than willing to do all those, but let's talk about what that will earn me down the road. So I started that conversation early on and we really encourage um, people to uh, To do that sooner than later, because you're exactly right that the farther you get down the road, the much more limited um, are your options and uh, the bigger challenges
0: yeah, and and I think one of the things that in those early discussions, when you're bringing on other partners and you're kind of structuring what this partnership looks like, one of the things to talk about is is really that that end piece like uh, what is the requirement to be a partner? in terms Mm -hmm. of time and effort and um and 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 your take of of the profits so to speak uh because that's where it can kind of get dicey is when uh i mean you know nobody wants to to be working way harder than others and taking home less money i mean that's just uh you know that that's 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 not sustainable you know something's going to happen if that's the way it's structured so uh, I think uh for our listeners too to to hear to to just des, to design that 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 pro that that uh partnership so that everyone understands if I'm ready to cut back and I'm ready to not do as much as I did before then there should be some kind of a um a consequence of that as opposed to just you know cutting back and 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 uh, not not falling into a different category of ownership, I guess, is
1: what I'm trying to say. That's very true, Steve. And again, ha- having learned a lot of those things over the years, there, there there are a lot of moving parts that occur with that, and some of those topics that arises when you have a partner that wants to basically cut back their hours or essentially be a passive or almost silent partner. And Neil and Skipper by by no means. Silent. They were they were present, but not not day to day. But how do you manage salary? Um, because that impacts the profitability of the company to go forward. How do you manage dividends? Um, because managing dividends impacts your cash flow and your ability to either use cash flow for growth going forward versus what is their tolerance level for taking on more debt. Um, so, all those moving parts present a challenge. And uh, again, the sooner you have those conversations, the better. Because once the the the, the horse is out of the barn, is kind of hard to um, manage at the same time. And we actually went through phases where we did really didn't grow because we did not have a consensus on how to manage all those things. Where was the cash going to come from for growth, for new clinics, for capital investments, for equipment, um, and things like that? Were they going to come from dividends and cash flow? Well, and, you know, that means the guy's taking home a little bit less each month versus was their willingness to take on some debt? And we had some very different opinions um, of that. So, um, a- again, the earlier those conversations occur – the better. And it's honestly, Steve, it's it's one of the reasons why I'm now I am such a proponent of having a strategic plan and walking through a a strategic plan. We were very, very late in developing our, our own strategic plan. And I actually learned the benefit of that um, uh, from having served as the president of our South Carolina state association uh, for two terms. Um, And that was one of the last things I did. And I really saw the benefits. And and from that, I really pushed. And we went through the formal process of developing a strategic plan for Clemson Sports Medicine. And from that point forward, we were much more streamlined with our decision-making. We were much more in unison with not only where we are going, but how we were going to get there.
0: Yeah, and I think it's uh, really great that you laid it out that way. And I think, you know, it's just so typical I, I think of so many practices private practices you know in our profession and and um i know you're a guy of high integrity and, and you're humble so you're not gonna tell it as, as hard as it was but but i know those were really hard discussions and those were really uh challenged challenged relationships when you're having those kind of discussions when money is involved it um uh, yeah it, it can sometimes get ugly and it's it's not easy
1: that is that's very true, very true. Um, there there were strained strained conversations for sure, but again, I I, I do give all my other uh, my three other partners credit that uh, they were they were they were heated passionate discussions, uh, you would say, but we all agreed that. It's kind of like that family rule is, you know, you don't go to bed angry is, you know, we're not going to leave the room angry um, that, you know, we do. We all have the same goal. We have a very different opinion sometimes about how to get there. Um, and uh, we all did respect each other, but we, we disagreed pretty strongly at times.
0: So uh, tell us what you're doing now. So you've gone on and um, done something different. So what's the new phase of your life?
1: Yeah, it's it's having a lot of fun. You know, I had the pleasure when uh, I was going through my uh, DPT program. I was so busy, honestly, Steve, with ATI that I had lost um, really contact with um, a lot of the folks you included um, over the years that I had to develop really good relationships with from uh, the private practice section in in, in different areas. So I sat down and made a list of who I wanted to reconnect with. I just started making phone calls. And honestly, Steve, I thanked a lot of people. I really took a, I really took time to sit down and thank individuals in the physical therapy industry that had mentored me and helped guide me, honestly, whether they knew it or not, and just really wanted to reconnect with folks. And uh, one of those people was Robbie Leonard. So uh, Robbie Leonard, who many people may know, um, has been a physical therapy compliance billing um just expert national expert for years. And I've known Robbie for 20 years, Janet Shelley uh, as well here in South Carolina through our state association. So I just called him and had lunch and we were talking, I was talking with Robbie and I said, you know, I really thought about what I enjoyed the most about the last 10 years. Well, I was really not in clinical practice. I was just administrative and managing the practice. What I enjoyed most was meeting with my clinical directors with a really honest, transparent conversation about here's the numbers, here's the business. How do we find that the, the the common ground with the best patient care we can possibly provide, a fun culture that cares about each other, and business success is that that, that 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 three three-legged goal, so to speak, and that was our goal. And I really enjoyed problem solving that scenario and that individual game plan for each clinic with our leaders. And, uh, as I was talking with Robbie about that, she said, you know, she said, I'm, I'm, I'm working with, uh, uh Steve Stalser, uh, at 8150 advisors. And she said, that's a lot of what we do is consulting and providing some, um, uh, services for practice owners. I said, you know, that sounds like a whole lot of fun because that's what I enjoyed doing with our own director. So, um, I joined 8150 Advisors and worked with uh, Steve Stalzer and Robbie Leonard, uh, co-founded 8150 um, by Osler, And then uh, Rachel Siltman um, is our team. And um, they, were, they were kind enough to welcome me to the team. And, and uh, that's, that's our approach. We, we, I generally approach each client as if I'm their partner and uh, I'm sitting there in the room with them. And how do we solve this problem? And it's been a lot of fun
0: and and just so that we all understand what that company does, so there's kind of two arms of it right there's so I may hire you to help me with efficiency and operations or understand right. my uh, my uh, kPIs better um, you know uh, practice indicators and things like that but I also may uh, may hire you uh, to to come on and advise me on what that next step is, whether it's with uh, selling to my employees or finding a private equity partner or selling to another company.
1: That's exactly right. So um, I, I've always uh, felt that um, I'm kind of proud of myself on knowing what I know and knowing what I don't know. And what my passion and what I, what I believe I know best is operations and strategic planning and operations. Um, Steve Stalzer and Robbie Leonard do a fantastic job with the merger and acquisition aspect of it. Um, that is primarily their their area and they do a phenomenal job with that. So um, a little combination of that is succession planning. And so you know, from my experience of learning that the sooner you have the conversation, the better off the result is going to be for everyone. So we kind of, Um, uh, you know, include succession planning is a little bit of both of those services is developing a strategic plan, putting an operational plan in place to maximize your value. And then how, what would that look like um, if you were going to approach either a private equity partner for a growth strategy or a private equity partner for acquisition or a complete acquisition, sell, and um, exit. And so, Steve and Robbie um, handle that, but we really enjoy working as a team. So, when you see, uh, and I'm
0: not asking to name names by any means, but just as generally speaking, when when people come to you and ask for your services, what what do you what do you feel like their their biggest needs are, or what are they, um, uh, you know, what are they seeking from your services? What what are they struggling with?
1: Um, I think number one is organization. And um, really appreciating it many, many times you have a lot of owners that, that they started their company by doing everything. Uh, just like when I was, was opening clinics, you do everything from sunup to sundown and you're trying to treat patients and answer the phones and co pays and then manage the business and uh, look at the financials and stay on top of billing and collections. And so As you grow, that becomes more difficult to do. How do you structure your organizational um, uh, piece of your company to maintain efficiencies, um, but also be within um, cost efficiencies and things like that? So just maintaining that structure, developing that structure, how many people do we need for, should I outsource my billing, should I keep it in-house, how many people do I need for um, to actually run the clinics and oversee the clinics, um, that sort of thing, and then, and then really secondly, is probably really getting a handle on your metrics and knowing where your metrics are. There's a a whole lot of EMRs out there, and they're all very very different. Um, and And the private practice section does such a fantastic job of giving you some some benchmarks, um, and everybody's a little bit different. But truly understanding. Um, your metrics. Your goals, targets uh, are going to vary between clinics. They vary between owners depending on what they're wanting to achieve and their own personal financial goals. Um, But really getting a handle and managing and understanding uh, the KPIs and the metrics. And then lastly is really how to work towards that. What type of organizational structure and communication structure do you put in place to achieve a goal to achieve a target. Um, so, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot that uh, all the practices are very, very different and there's more than one way to be successful.
0: Um, absolutely. And so again, I'm asking you to generalize, but uh, mm-hmm. h- how long uh, would do most of your clients um, uh, be with you? Is it, is it something I do for three or six months? Is it something I do for 3 years what, what you know when when i hire you
1: uh, how long do yeah.
0: those clients hang on, uh, stay on
1: great question steve and that is so individualized it really is i'm I mean, i'm sure there's probably an average if you took the last x number of clients and uh, divided by the number of years we could come up with an, with an average but we have some clients, like I said, they're four to six months um, that uh, they're just looking for they're looking for a strategic plan. We help we we do an assessment of their current um, status that provides the value of the clinic. Um, basically, gets down to their EBITDA and potentially arrange if they were going to be acquired. Um, and again, that's 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 all dependent upon many manufacturers. So there's a lot of variability there, and then we can help them develop a strategic plan of where they want to go. And you know, some clinics, they, they, they want to look three years down the road. Some want to look 10 years down the road. And then once we put a strategic plan in place, many if they have the organizational structure and, and people in place, then they're off and running. Um, others actually want to help uh, develop and and uh, actually place people and coach clinic directors and provide some leadership training and coaching. So, I've had some clients as long as, gosh, pushing two years, and I've had some clients as short as six months. But it's extremely individualized, and we we just have a month-to-month agreement with all of our with our clients uh, in regards to operational coaching. And uh, we we kind of just do a, a reassessment each month. This is the progress we're making, and when uh, when we've hit the goals, much like treating a patient, when we get the goals, we're done.
0: Yeah, that's really uh a great opportunity you know so many of our colleagues you know start these practices and they grow and they get bigger and they find out pretty quickly that it's pretty lonely at the top <laughs> you know you, you, right. you, you need some other uh opinions and some other people to to help and and uh, sometimes you have the caliber of those people in the organization sometimes you don't so i think that's a, a real good option to look at to say mm-hmm. you know what what you know what don't i know or what should i be looking at that that i'm not seeing uh, right. And kind of a side note I had uh, I've actually had two clients that that have come to me and said you know I, I don't want to um, uh, give up any ownership or anything but but I feel like I need a board so would you mm-hmm. build me a board and so uh, kind of an advisory board so to speak so uh, that's another way to do it you know find people yeah. that that uh, you know have been through it before and understand those bigger ideas and bigger pictures and Put them together on a board, and you know, meet three or four times a year, and uh, you know, it, it it really gives that that owner the, the the sense of okay, I'm not alone. I I do have some expertise that I can tap into, and some experience that uh, is really valuable mm-hmm. for as I move forward. So,
1: absolutely, I, that that that's a great idea. Um, again, I've I've always appreciated learning from others like i said before uh, you know i know i know what i don't know and have learned a tremendous amount from yourself um over the years and and all the other folks that we network with at private practice section and just like i said enjoy the team and and uh that's always a good thing to be able to um kind of vet certain issues and, and learn from others
0: yeah those relationships are invaluable that's for sure so yep. let's uh, talk a little bit about something else I know that's dear to your heart. Mm-hmm. Is you uh, started a nonprofit organization to, uh, I think it's called PlaySafe. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what that is and how it originated and how it's going?
1: Gladly, Steve. I really appreciate you asking. So PlaySafe uh, is a uh, federally tax exempt 501c3, and uh, the uh, PlaySafe's purpose and mission is to provide sports medicine services to secondary schools that do not have access to athletic trainers, um, plain and simple. Um, and it was born from the fact of, you know, mission Clemson Sports Medicine, that's how we kind of built a reputation and we built relationships, um, you know, back in late 80s and 90s when Clemson Sports Medicine was developing, we had um, athletic trainers on staff. Uh, way back when, at one point in time, they may even work as techs in the, in the clinic in the morning. And then they would do dropout business in high school in the afternoon. They would provide um, a level of care for, for high schools and be at the football games on Friday nights. And obviously, that's how you get to know the community, moms and dads, and businesses and referral sources. And so, over the years, um, the need for certified athletic trainers in high schools grew. And we obviously grew to appreciate that. You know, really every high school needs at least one certified athletic trainer. We know that the majority of the injuries occur in practice, not in games. The, the The injury exposures in practice are just so much higher. Um, and so as we started to try to meet that need, um, we employed more and more athletic trainers. And Steve, we got to a break. Well, we had a great, great clinic um, that had about five FTEs. Um, three PTs and two PTAs, they were seeing, you know, they were busy, they were were running very efficiently, and we were breaking even. We were not making a dollar, and it's because we also employed four, approximately four or five athletic trainers for that surrounding county. And so we were at a loss of what to do. Um, We did not believe we could just – cut the athletic trainers and eliminate that expense because we're now the bad guy. Uh, so we had to come up with a, a, an idea of a happy medium about how can we, can we afford to continue supporting this much needed service? So honestly, I took the financial with the approval of all my partners uh, as my disclaimer, I took the financial and showed it to one of um, the, uh, uh, team physicians that also cared about sports medicine and said, we can't afford it. And they were astounded at how much it costs to employ the athletic trainers and quickly their credit quickly said, well, no worry. No wonder you can't do that. And so we started brainstorming and we said, you know what? This issue exists because athletic trainers are not funded by the state. So all the public schools in South Carolina, it's, it's different around the country, but at least in South Carolina, I know in many neighboring areas in Georgia and North Carolina, a certified athletic trainer is not funded by uh, public funds. And so we said, you know, this is really a community challenge, a community issue that they don't know exists. Because we've solved it for them over the last 20 years. So either either a physician's office or a PT office or a hospital, somebody pays for that. So they're not aware of that. So we decided, you know what, if we can create a nonprofit, we can create an entity where the community can all participate to solve the issue. So that's what we did. So 2010, 2011, um, um, had a lot of advice from our accountant and our attorney They helped me fill out the, I forgot how long the application is, um, but we completed the application for a 501c3. We created a board, we created bylaws, uh, the whole nine yards, and Clemson Sports Medicine took all the money, salary expenses, continuing education, the whole nine yards that we had um, allocated for all of our employed athletic trainers. We took that money, we donated, we we, we terminated the athletic trainers, PlaySafe hired them, we donated that money uh, to PlaySafe. And then we had a plan over years to engage other community partners. And so we really took on the endeavor of educating the public. And that was probably my biggest, um, uh, biggest thing that I underestimated, is how much of a challenge that would be. And that's still an ongoing challenge for PlaySafe. So, PlaySafe has grown. I'm proud to say that PlaySafe is still here Um, uh, approximately 12 years later. We've grown to approximately 35, 36 full-time athletic trainers. We have a budget of about $2 million. We're based in Anderson, South Carolina. And um, extremely passionate about the need um, because having been an athlete myself at one time um, and just believe that our youth – Deserve a qualified, professional, certified athletic trainer on site to uh, for safety, and so we are constantly trying to educate the public in fundraise and educate uh, the communities um, about the need because we we still uh, we we are still challenged with um, the communities believing that the state pays for the trainer that's on the sideline. So it's an ongoing challenge, but fun.
0: Yeah, that well, that's impressive, Jim. I mean, it's, you know, to to structure the, you know, the nonprofit organization and then do all the uh, the work you have to do to find the funding and, and get everybody on board. Uh, I, I can only imagine how big a job that was, and it's impressive. So congratulations on making that happen. Well,
1: thank you. Thank you very much. It, it, it has been a lot of fun. I've served as uh, board chair for um gosh five or six years i'm now the vice chair i actually at one point in time when i was getting my dpt I actually served as uh interim executive director in the search committee to uh hire our next executive director so um it's a lot of fun again we all believe passionately about it um we have uh we've engaged actually the Corey stringer institute um people may remember the story of Corey Stringer was the uh, professional football player for the Vikings who died of a heat stroke. If I'm not uh, mistaken, they established the Corey Stringer Institute. And so um, they provide grants for underserved schools. So really learning and reaching out to um, other communities and uh, learning how PlaySafe can partner with other communities is one of our, our, our chosen endeavors in the next few years. But, we hear from all over the country um, about people that have heard about us somehow through the athletic training network um, that uh, we have schools reach out all the time that uh, we need a trainer. We need a trainer. And we're like, well, I know you need a trainer. Yeah. We have to figure out how we're going to pay for the trainer, And um, that is an, an ever present challenge.
0: Yeah. And then of course, with an organization like that, that executive director is a very key position and, Finding the the right one is uh, is a is very important.
1: It is that person wears a lot of hats, and um, you know we have struggled much like growing a physical therapy company as as we grow PlaySafe as being a good steward of all the funds that are donated uh, to PlaySafe. But you have to have a certain amount of organizational administration. Um, the executive director and they've constantly got to be in compliance and actually run the day-to-day, and you've got HR, and you've got payables, um, and um, but at the same time, you've got to give out and fundraise, and you've got to develop relationships, so um, that's, it's, uh, it's, it's a challenge, but again, uh, an interesting challenge that keeps, uh, keeps us engaged with the community.
0: Now, you've uh, mentioned earlier in, the, in this uh, program that uh, we met at PPS, which is true. But we also mm-hmm. had uh, an experience uh, working together on a, a company we formed called PT1. And we did. Yeah. Uh, so that was fun and talk about an education. So we were, uh, edu- I think Drew Boston was the one who originally came up with this idea and really pushed it yep. along and basically trying to understand insurance companies and how they work and uh, malpractice insurance and, and even to the point of health benefits for your staff being partially self insured and what an advantage that was compared to being fully premium insured. So, um, you and I were on that, uh, on that, in, in the ownership uh, of that company and also on the board of that company and uh, learned a lot and had some good times.
1: We, we really did. You know, Steve, I thought about that a lot. And uh, Patrick Graham uh, was, was part of that group and uh, just enjoyed the camaraderie and enjoyed the time together and the problem solving. Honestly, Steve, I think we were. I don't know. Maybe we were a little bit of ahead of our time. I think we had a good solution. There was definitely an issue, uh, a, a challenge. We were trying to come up with a solution for private practice owners um, and um, kind of create um, a vehicle where private practice owners could access quality healthcare benefits um, at a reasonable cost. And uh, I think we, we, were, we were trying to create a captive at the time and we had had experience with being partially self-insured at Clemson sports medicine. We uh, re-re renegotiated our employee benefits pretty much annually. And um, if we were going to save a certain amount, yes, it took a lot of back and back office work to change benefits, but we did that probably three or four times. And uh, the 10 years that I was, that I was running Clemson sports medicine, I believe we did made all those decisions. So, it was a lot of fun. I think we had, uh, we, we learned a lot for sure. Yeah, we certainly
0: did. And I, I do think we're a little ahead of our time, and, and yeah. a lot of people didn't understand what we were doing. And then, and then it did grow to the point where then we, uh, you know, a, a, as a side hustle, you might say, just didn't have the, the ability or the resources to handle the back office stuff. So we eventually right. sold it to a large insurance company in Iowa called VGM. And uh, mm-hmm. they continue to this day, uh, you know, selling the products and the things we started. But, uh, you, you know, one of the things that we did was we, we convinced the insurance company uh, that we worked with to look at, like malpractice insurance, to look at physical therapy by itself and not put us Correct. in the healthcare group with physician's assistants and uh, nurse practitioners and, and a whole bunch of other people because uh, when it came down to it, uh, from malpractice concerns, you know, physical therapists don't get sued very often. So right. why why should we be paying more when we're put into a group of, of people that really aren't like us or don't have the same experience as us? So that was one thing that we were able to do, which which caused the, uh, created the premiums to be much lower. So we ended up mm-hmm. uh, providing better coverage, uh, at a lower cost, which is, as you said, yeah. uh, what private practitioner wouldn't be interested in that. So
1: absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, a lot of nuances, uh, learned a lot about the, about the in, uh, insurance industry, um, um, through that endeavor, but, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That was great. time. So, uh, in anticipation of our uh, discussion today, um, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to share with us?
1: No, Steve. Gosh, we covered a whole lot. It's been a um, just a, a a pleasure catching up with you. Um, it really has. It's always um, always um, a pleasure talking with you. I learn something every time uh, sit down and have a uh, have a discussion with you. So uh, it has been a pleasure to reconnect and uh, kind of relive the journey. And uh, it's definitely been a journey for sure. Um, but uh, I, I think I appreciate. Now I appreciate the relationships I've made with uh, you, yourself, the, the other gentlemen you mentioned, um, uh, Drew and, and and Patrick, and and the folks in South Carolina. that mentioned it was Robbie and Janet, even our old partners. It's just fun to sometimes. Sit back and, and tell the story, as you like to say, and um, and appreciate those good times and the folks you you accomplished some things with. Well,
0: I think that was a really interesting thing that you did do, that you took the time to think back and then reach out and reconnect mm-hmm. with people. Because we all go through these phases where we, you know, are uh, by people or working with people. And, and then sometimes we phase out of that. And so um, to reconnect, right. I think, is a, a really valuable thing. So,
1: Right. Right. Very true. And I greatly appreciate you asking about PlaySafe. It is, uh, it is an ongoing challenge. I've put a lot of time and effort and um, especially in this day and age to try to continually raise money for a good cause. And there are so many good causes um, out there to be had. And, and, and PlaySafe is a little bit misunderstood. So if you wouldn't mind a little shameless plug, um, the website is, is www.playsafeusa.org. Uh, if anyone would like to learn more about it, you know, contact me or go to our website. I would uh, I would love to tell you more about what Playsafe is doing and and how we impact our local communities. And and honestly, we we'd like to serve as a partner with communities that have the issue of how do we provide an athletic trainer for for our kids um, and uh, try to help the community d- develop a collaborative um, effort between be either, either a hospital or physician's office or PT office or businesses and kind of how you roll that all together
0: yeah that's great well Jim usually at this time in the interview I always ask my uh, guests the same common question and that question is mm-hmm. in relation to leadership what is a pearl of wisdom that you could leave us with today
1: oh wow boy that is a loaded question um in relation to leadership, uh, you know, I think anybody that knows me is, and I've had people tell me this before, that I'm honest to a fault. Um, and it's just honest transparency and um, and just truly caring about people and caring about what you're doing. Um, and if you approach um, an obstacle, a task, with and, and you have a passion about the mission and you have a, a, a true caring and honesty about your approach, um, I think that's transparent, and I think uh, that's the key to building a team and, um, and uh, kind of pulling people together and everyone pulling on the same road, going in the same direction.
0: Yeah, well, that's awesome. Those are great words. Well, Jim, this has been a real pleasure. I I have as well uh, uh, appreciated you uh, reaching out and and us kind of reconnecting after we drifted a little bit. And uh, great to hear that you're doing something that you love now uh, with uh, 8150 Advisors, and uh, that's what it's all about. I mean, use your experience, use your expertise, and then do something you enjoy. I mean, that's... To, to me, that's the way to go. So thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it very much, and uh, I'm sure I'll run into you again soon. But uh, it was great talking to you today.
1: Yes, sir. My pleasure. I look forward to it. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Uh-huh.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. To listen to all my interviews, subscribe to Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and many other popular podcast platforms. Some of these interviews are on video, and you can search YouTube for Profiles and Leadership with Steve Anderson. You can also access the entire library of interviews on my website, orange.coaching.com, and that is orangetheword.coaching.com. and go to the Media Center and click on Podcasts or Video Gallery. You can also enter the website from pilpodcast.com.